You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. His invisible attributes, and he he names there eternal power, divine nature. In other words, we should be able to walk outside and look around, look at the skies, look look at the sun shining, look at the the moon reflecting the sun's light, look at the, the multitude of stars in the sky, go stand at the beach and watch the waves roll. We should be able to look at creation and come to the conclusion there's someone behind all of this who is big. There's someone behind all of this who is powerful. And if there is someone behind all of this, I should want to worship him and know him more. But Romans 1 says that's not humanity's inclination. Humanity's inclination is look around and say, boy, this is pretty, This is something, but I have no desire to know the one behind this. In other words, or another way to say it is, Humanity's inclination is to worship the creation rather than the one who created it all. So it talks about that in Romans chapter 1. But this passage very clearly speaks of God making himself known through um, nature. I'll quote Warren Wiersbe too, Jerry, because he's just very quotable, isn't he? He says, the existence of creation implied the existence of a creator, and the nature of the creation implied that he was wise enough to plan it, powerful enough to execute his plan and maintain what he has made. Listen to this. So complex a universe demands a creator who can do anything, who knows everything, and who is present everywhere. But even more, David knew that God was speaking to the inhabitants of the earth by means of his creation. Creation, I love this, is a wordless book a wordless book that everybody can read because it needs no translation. God speaks through creation day after day and night after night. His speech pours out silently, abundantly, universally. So creation, the skies proclaiming his handiwork. Creation is God's way of revealing himself to humanity. Theologians call this general revelation. So nature is one of the ways he reveals himself to all persons, all times, all places. Here's the second way, and this is a, probably another sermon for another day, but I want to mention it care, uh, quickly. Conscience. The existence of conscience is an indicator that there's a God behind everything. Um, so look in um, verse 32 of Romans chapter 1, if you're still in Romans. Romans chapter 1, verse 32. He's speaking there of people who are opposed to God, okay? And look what it says in verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree, they're opposed to God, but they have something within them that they have categories within them of right and wrong. It says they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, that they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. So even though they know there's something, there there are these categories of right and wrong, they still do the the wrong thing and encourage others to do the wrong thing. And look what it says in chapter 2 of Romans, verse 15. He says, They show 
that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on the day when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. And so here's what um, Paul is saying. Paul is saying that all of humanity has a moral code written on his heart. We call it the conscience, this idea of right and wrong. And the, 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 the reality that we all have a conscience means that there is a moral lawgiver who put all of this into existence. So the fact that you have categories of right and wrong means that there is an absolute being who has established categories of right and wrong. Now, you may not agree with what God says is right or wrong, but everybody, Christian, non-Christian, whatever background, everybody has categories of right and wrong, even if they say they don't. Even if someone says, I don't believe in absolute truth or I don't believe in absolute morality, if you go and steal their car, they'll say, well, you shouldn't have done that, right? We all have these categories of, of, of right, wrong, fairness, justice, and it's different, you know, it's different from different people. It's, it's formed in different ways, but we all have a conscience. And some pay attention to their conscience. Some suppress their conscience, but God speaks through our conscience. Wayne Grudem says it like this, Wicked people know that their sin is wrong, at least in large measure. So what does God reveal himself, or what does God reveal about himself through general revelation? Look there in your notes. From general revelation, all people have some knowledge that God exists, some knowledge of what God is like, some knowledge of his moral standards, but this is critical. General revelation does not provide enough information to save you from your sins. You can, you can go outside and look around being completely ignorant of spiritual realities. You can go outside and look around and say, there's a powerful being behind all of this. He must be really, really big and powerful, right? But if he doesn't give you more information, there's no way you can come to know him in a personal way. You've got to get more information than just looking at the sky and appreciating the Grand Canyon and walking along the beach and marveling at creation. You need some, some more insight about this being behind all of creation. General revelation does not provide enough information to save you from your sins. An old Baptist confession of faith, the 1689 London uh, Confession, says it like this, Second London Confession, the light of nature, the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God and his will which is necessary unto salvation. Or let me say it like this. This goes back to Romans 1 where he says, all are without excuse. God's made himself known through creation, all are without excuse. General revelation is enough to condemn if you reject the God behind all of this, but not enough to convert. General revelation is enough to condemn where you can see the reality of God and reject that reality and go your own way and not seek him at all. It's enough to condemn you, but general revelation is not enough to convert. You need more revelation from God. And the question is, has God given us any more revelation? Well, Psalm 19 tells us he does. So turn back to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, there in 
verses 1 through 6, he mentions how creation speaks to us. But look at the change that happens in verse 7. He goes from discussing general revelation to discussing special revelation. That's number two, special revelation. Because of verse 7, he mentions truth that comes directly from God. The law of the Lord is perfect. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Precepts of the Lord are right. Commandment of the Lord is pure. Uh, and, And he goes on to speak of God's special revelation. The idea here is this. God has revealed himself, and what David's referring to here is the Old Testament. He's referring to how God has revealed himself specifically at this time through the Torah, the the first five books of the Old Testament. God has revealed himself through his word. And God didn't stop with the Torah. God continued to reveal himself uh, through Old Testament times, through people like David. He gave them the word he wanted them to write down. David and Samuel and, and others, Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Daniel. And, 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 he, and he gave these servants his word. So we have the Old Testament, which is God's word to man. And if you wonder whether or not we should hold the Old Testament as authoritative, as God's word to man, just look at Jesus. Because Jesus quoted from the Old Testament all the time. When he was on the cross, he quoted from the Old Testament. Jesus held the Old Testament as an authoritative book from God, and we should too. And then we have the New Testament, where God birthed the church after the death and resurrection of Christ. He birthed the church at Pentecost. He raises up apostles and speaks through them. They're writing down the very words of God in these letters to different churches. And those that body of belief, the one faith as it mentions in Jude, was collected and preserved, and over time was collected into a book or a, a section that we call the New Testament. So we have the Old Testament, the New Testament, Genesis, the Revelation. It is all the Word of God. It is all special revelation. Now, here's the deal about special revelation. This is in your notes. Special revelation refers to God's manifestation of Himself. Listen, to specific people at specific times in specific places, enabling those persons to enter into a redemptive relationship with him. In other words, if you don't have the word, if you don't have access to the word, if no one's sharing with you the good news from the word, then you don't have the information necessary to enter into a relationship with the God who's behind all of creation. And as we look through the Bible... There are, there are different types of special revelation. So just very quickly, divine speech. We see God speak audibly in audible voices throughout the scripture, uh, like you know creation. He's in the garden with Adam and Eve speaking to them. Uh, the burning bush, God speaks to Moses from the burning bush. The baptism of Jesus, when Jesus comes up out of the water, there's a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Transfiguration. There are moments in in history where God speaks in an audible voice, that's special revelation. And then we see God's word is speech through human lips. That's basically what we see in the apostles, the prophets uh, of the Old Testament, New Testament, where God raises up certain people and speaks through them. And, and they would say before they spoke on behalf of God, thus says the Lord. It's a human speaking, but they're speaking on behalf of God. 
And then God spoke through the incarnation over in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, God spoke to our forefathers, speaking of Old Testament forefathers, the Jewish forefathers. Jesus spoke to our forefathers in many different ways, many different manners. But in these days, these last days, it says in Hebrews, he has spoken to us through his son. In other words, the fact that Jesus came, the fact that Jesus lived, the fact that Jesus died, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead, is God telling us something about his love for us and telling us something about how we can be saved, the incarnation. But then, and this is what we're most familiar with because of what we have access to, the written word, the written word where God spoke through human instruments. So they were writing down what we call the, the Bible, the scriptures, the very word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for reproof, rebuke, correction, for training in righteousness. All scripture is breathed out by God. He takes human instruments. He takes people like Paul. He takes their vocabulary, their experiences, their background, their personality. And then as they're writing letters, He's breathing in that process, so they're actually writing down exactly what he wants them to write down. They're writing down the very words of God, and if it is the word of God, if God is breathed in that process, then it is without error. The written word, that is special revelation. Now, turn to Acts 17. I want to cover a couple quick things real quick, and then we'll give some implications. We'll be done. We'll pray. But there is a passage, a beautiful passage, that mentions general revelation and special revelation in the same passage, all right? So look in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. This is Paul in the Areopagus uh, in Athens. He comes to a place where the, the philosophers of the day would meet and share different views about truth and being. And Paul takes the opportunity to speak to them about, um, about the Lord, about the Lord Jesus. Look what it says in Acts 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Well, therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. In other words, they had an, a, a, a place set up where they had this stone, and they said, this is a stone to the unknown God. And and Paul's saying, you're calling God unknown. I'm, I'm letting you know that that the God who's behind all of this, he can be known. Look what he says. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. That is a quote from Scripture. He's, he's, he's quoting uh, the Word of God. Then he mentions some of your poets have said, for we indeed are, we are indeed his offspring, speaking of people that speak of religious reality who were the poets of the day. Being then, he says, being then God's offspring... We ought not to think the divine image is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance got overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by man whom he has appointed. 
Now this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So he says God's made himself known. He's made himself known through, uh, through the, the created order. Uh, starting there in verse 24, the world and everything in it. And I want you to know, this God can be known through his son, Jesus. So in that passage, Paul mentions general revelation and special revelation. Now, let me answer a quick question, and uh, then I'll give you some quick implications. We'll be through. So back to Romans 1, where it says, we have, we have this... We have the created order. And because we have the created order, men are without excuse. So the question becomes, someone that, that lives in, uh, on an island in the middle of the Pacific, they have general revelation. They can go outside and look at the sun and the stars, the moon. They can see the waves rolling in. They can see the beauty of creation, know there's someone powerful behind it. But they've never heard the word. No one's ever come and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. Are they guilty before God? In other words, what happens to them if they die in that state where they have general revelation but not special revelation? Romans 1 says they're without excuse, which means that they die and go to hell. Let me tell you why this is the case. It's the case because they've suppressed the truth that God has given them. And here's what I believe. I'll give you an example in a minute. I believe that if someone responds to general revelation, they look outside and see the sun and stars and moon and say, boy, there's a God behind this. I want to know that God. I believe God will give them more light. He'll give them more light. Give them more light. Until, if they responded like God gives them, until they hear the name of Jesus. In other words, if they're seeking the one true God, I believe God will send them someone that will give them special revelation. And here's an example of this in the scripture. Cornelius. Cornelius in chapter 10, remember he was a God-fearer. Remember that story? He was a God-fearer. He was going to the temple to worship the Hebrew God. He was a Gentile, but he was going to worship the Hebrew God. He was trying to figure out who's the God that I, who's the true God. And he's going to worship the Hebrew God, but he never heard the name of Jesus. He's responding to Revelation. He's seeking God. He's seeking truth, but he did not know about Jesus. So what happened? God appeared to him in a vision. Hey, I want you to send some men over to Joppa. Knock on the door of Simon the Tanner. There's a guy living with him named Peter. And ask for Peter to come and tell you something. He appeared to Peter in a vision, says, hey, I'm going to show you that the Gentiles need to hear the gospel. And there's someone coming, and when they come, you go with them and share the gospel. So these people came for Cornelius. They knocked on the door. They told Peter, come with us. Peter went back with them, went to Cornelius' household, preached the gospel. The entire household got saved. So here's what they were doing. They responded to natural revelation, and God sent them special revelation. Now, I believe if we respond to the light that God gives us, God will give us more light leading to Jesus Christ. The problem is... God gives light, and we say, not interested. In fact, it says in Romans 1, we suppress the truth. We suppress the truth. And we don't seek the God behind all of this creation. And so that's how general revelation, special revelation works um, together. So let me give you three implications we'll be through. Number one, we should appreciate creation and conscience as God's revelation. 
We should be grateful that God has spoken to us through creation and through our moral compass. Be grateful for that. Again, God doesn't have to reveal himself. Number two, we should strive to get the special revelation of the gospel to those who, have only, who only have general revelation. We should strive to get the special revelation of the gospel to those who only have general revelation. So just quick missions uh, information here. There are about 12,000 people groups in the world that make up the entire, uh, about 8 billion people that live on this earth. The, 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 the human population is made up of people groups that are bound together by language and culture and custom. There are about 12,000 distinct people groups on the face of the earth. About 6,000 of those are unreached people groups, about half of those, which means that in their population, less than 2% are Christ followers. Okay, less than 2%. So you do the math. If you're in a people group of 10 million people and less than 2% are Christian, that's not many folks, right? Half of those are called unengaged, unreached people groups, about 3,000, which means it's a group of people bound together by language and custom. They don't know Jesus. There's no church among them. There's no one talking about Jesus, preaching about Jesus, and no one is engaging them with the gospel. They have general revelation, but they don't have special revelation. So our goal as Christians is to go to those and tell them about Jesus, to give them the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would um, say. And then third, we should treasure God's special revelation by learning it and living according to it. Back in Psalm 19, that's the point that he makes. How should we handle the word of God? If, if God has spoken to us through his word to give us more information about himself and about how we can know him and how we can worship him and walk with him and, and live in a way that honors him, how should we handle the word? Look at it says in Psalm 19, verse 8, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. In other words, you should read it. You should engage it. You should saturate yourself with it. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. Watch verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. In other words, we ought, to, we ought to desire the word of God. We ought to long for the word of God because this is not just an, another religious book among religious books. This is God's word to us. It is special revelation. It is priceless that God has chosen in his power and grace to speak to us. So we should treasure God's special revelation by learning it and living according to it. There's more I could say, but let's let's uh, close there. But I want you to leave today being grateful for general and special revelation. That's what Psalm 19 refers to. Uh, I'll close with, with, with one uh, illustration, and, and then we'll pray. I keep saying I'll close. I really am closing this time. I promise. It's a trick you learn in seminary. You just keep saying you'll close, but you don't. You just keep going. And anyway, I'll close with this. So, um, William Paley uh, shared an illustration. This is hundreds of years ago, but he called it the watchmaker illustration. And he, he said, if you're walking along a beach and you see a watch lying on the ground, okay, you can pick it up and know 
someone designed this. You know, watches, you can't dispute the fact that a watch is is intricately designed, right? The, the pieces, the mechanisms, the gears, um, the way that it works. And you can look and say, well, someone made this watch. This didn't just, this didn't just randomly happen. Just like if we look at the, the complexity of our world, the complexity of the human body even, we can say, boy, there's some design behind all of this. It didn't all just randomly happen. There's, a designer is behind all of this. So you're on the beach, you see the watch, and you can say, what a watch. What a really well-designed piece of equipment, right? But unless you met the watchmaker, that's all you know is that someone made a watch. Then if you met the watchmaker, then you can know who it was, how they did it, the process, and get to know them and have a relationship with them. And that's the difference between general and special revelation. We can look outside and say, whoa, someone's behind all of this. This is intricately designed. It's, it's perfectly designed. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's, it's, it's marvelous. It's creation. But until we meet the, the maker through special revelation, we can't have that personal relationship with him through Jesus Christ. So aren't you glad that the maker, the intelligent designer, has given us more info? Amen? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.